been going through the miracles of Jesus, and we're going to continue right up until Easter, actually, like I think Palm Sunday, we're going to do the last one and then go right into Easter, but um, it'll all fit together pretty well. And then after Easter, we're going to start a series on, um, basically, I'm going to take you through the entire Bible in 11 verses, is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick 11 key verses, and actually there's a book that's come out that I'm kind of using that as a springboard thing, but it basically focuses on 11 key verses from Genesis to Revelation that tell you the whole Bible story in 11 verses. And so that's that's where we're going after Easter, okay? Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at um, the miracles of Christ, and and as we're into that last section where... We're getting closer to the cross, and as we get closer to the cross, the miracles take on a different dynamic. Uh, the miracle we're looking at this morning, um, the healing of the ten lepers, is only found in the Gospel of Luke, and, and there's a reason for that. But it, you need to understand that as we get closer to the cross, the focus of the miracles somewhat changes. The miracles are still important, but their focus is not the miracles. It's like the healing of the ten lepers. The healing of the ten lepers, the healing part of it is like this much of the story. There's a much bigger reason for that story, and you're going to see that this morning. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. It's the only uh, gospel it's found in, and we're just going to work through it section by section and then apply some stuff. So here's what it says. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, this is the third time, by the way, Luke emphasizes this, because... Jesus and the disciples are, are heading towards Jerusalem. The disciples probably think in their mind it's all about the Passover. But in Jesus' mind, it's all about the cross. I don't think the disciples really understand and comprehend what's going to happen because when, when they come to take Jesus, um, they react wrong, and then after they take Jesus, they all run away. And so I, I don't think the disciples have in mind the cross. They have in mind Jesus as king. And um, so the story talks about the idea that he's on his way to Jerusalem, and Jesus travels along the border between Samaria and Galilee. This is important because Jesus is traveling in an area that is Jews are here, Samaritans are here. And there's, there's, there's a division between them. But the Jews and the Samaritans, you've got to understand, they have this animosity towards each other that is... That we, we have a hard time in our culture. I mean, I doubt that there's anybody that when, we, when I talk about a culture that, there, that, that you just despise, I think the closest one would be um, ISIS. If, if I talked to you and said, hey, folks, we're glad to have in the service this morning a group of people sitting over here from ISIS, and we're thrilled to have them here today, um, you know, most of you would be going, <laughs> I mean, you would get heebie-jeebied real fast because of your mind concept view of that group as a as a group of people um that was much the same way jews and samaritans feel, felt about each other they really looked at each other as enemies um and it was over religious stuff and 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 so there was that animosity that had been built up it says as he was going into a village 10 men who had leprosy met him so jesus is is getting ready to walk into this village. We don't know what village, but Jesus is getting ready to walk in, and there's these lepers who are on the outside of the village. 
Um, that wouldn't have been uncommon. Now, this probably wasn't the kind of leprosy with like dissolved faces and stuff like that. Typically, in this context, it was probably a skin condition that was highly contagious. These people would not have been allowed inside the city. They would have had to survive outside of the city. Um, often they survived by um, either, either asking people for food. Uh, typically, they would survive by um, grabbing garbage. Uh, because, again, in a, city, in a city like Bible times, you have to realize that people have to do something with the garbage. You know, we, I mean, you know, in our culture, I remember the days that you burned it. I still burn some of mine. Ah, uh, but I also have, you know, CH, whoever, who comes by and picks it up and dumps it in their, their thing. And so every, once a week, I take my little trash can and I wheel it out to the road and, 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 and set it on the side of the road. Um, I actually came up with an idea the other day to be able to hook it up to the back of my car so I didn't have to drive it. And I thought, you know, that's like the epitome of lazy. So... I decided not to do that. But anyway, I, you know, we wheel it out there. In those days, they would have put their garbage in like a little cart or something and wheel it outside of whatever village or city they lived in, and there would be kind of a city garbage dump. And you would dump it there. A lot of times the lepers would get their food from those kinds of places because they couldn't go to the market and buy it. Um, so, so what would happen is as people would take out, they would kind of go through the garbage. And, 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 and so they had kind of become a community unto themselves and that they were outside of the city and so it says you got 10 men who had leprosy met him notice it says they stood at a distance which would have been cultural because they couldn't come close to jesus and they called out in a loud voice jesus master have pity on us now this is very unique because almost never when we read the bible accounts of people approaching jesus do they use the term master that is a term that the disciples often use when talking to Jesus. We don't see people, we see people coming to Jesus calling him teacher or rabbi, but not master. It's very unique. And so apparently these guys, the, this group, this group of, uh, of people, men, had been outside of the city. And, and you've got to realize, they're all in the same boat. They all have, they're all lepers. They all realize that they, they, they can't fix themselves. They all are in the same boat together. They all believe that Jesus can help them. And together they cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And notice, they don't ask for healing. They don't ask to be healed. They're just asking for mercy. And in whatever form that's going to take, they want Jesus to do something for them. And notice what it goes on to say. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. The Old Testament, Leviticus taught that if you had leprosy and you thought you were cleansed, you went to the priest and the priest gave the okay. Remember when we had the Ebola scare here and, and we had had people come back and they'd want to quarantine them for so many days to make sure they were okay and then give them the all clear so they could go out in the community? It's the same kind of thing. They would have to go to a, a priest and the priest would have to look at them and inspect them and the priest would either declare them clean or unclean, which uh, there's a really cool sidebar on that. Ask me on Wednesday night, and I'll, I'll tell you about it. But anyway, uh, because the priest is coming in contact with lepers, and yet we don't read of priests getting leprosy. It's a fascinating thing. But anyway, so here's what happens. So 
in, in this context, they would have to go to the priest, and the priest would declare them clean, then they could go back and assimilate into society. In this story, notice what happens. Jesus saw that, sees them, and he says, go show yourselves to the priest. He tells them, look, you guys go to the priest. He doesn't heal them. He doesn't heal them here. He tells them, so if you're a leper and you're thinking, why am I going to the priest? I don't know if they thought when they got to the priest, the priest would heal them. I don't know if they thought that, that something was going to happen along the way. I don't know what they're thinking. But here's, what, here's the important point. They believe Jesus' words and they obey his words. And notice what it says. And as they went, they were cleansed. So in other words, as they start walking to go and see the priest, all of a sudden their skin condition starts clearing up. And the further they go, the cleaner it gets. And so now all of a sudden they're starting to understand that, hey, this is awesome. Look at this. Hey, Joe, Joe do I, you know those, are they gone? Yeah, it's all clear. It's all, well, so are my hand. And these guys are kind of getting excited. And notice what happens now. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. So one guy in this group stops and goes, oh, guys, this is awesome. I got to go back. Now, here's a question. What discussion took place at that moment? Because nobody goes with him. Now, if you ever thought about this, He's traveling with the group, and they're all going to a priest, and this guy stops and says, guys, i got to go back. Come on, guys, come with me. Nobody comes. And I don't know why they don't go. I don't know if they thought, no, 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 the law says we got to go to the priest first, then we'll come back. I don't know if in their thinking it's like, no, 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 I want to get healed as fast as I can, get my all clear from the priest, because i got, I got people I want to go see. i got family I want to go see. I don't know what they're thinking, but only one guy stops and goes, oh, i got to go back and thank that guy. And notice what he does. He does four things. He, goes, he, he, he comes back praising God in a loud voice, threw himself at Jesus' feet, and thanked him. Um, some of the versions read, um, and this version does too, it's just not really clear in the English, he thanks Jesus. And that's, a, that's unique. You know why? Because in most stories, when Jesus heals somebody, they praise God, not Jesus. In this case, they thank, he thanks Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and he thanks and praises Jesus. That's important theologically in a minute. But he, he praises Jesus, and he thanks him. And then Luke, who's writing this passage, drops the bomb. And he goes, and he was a Samaritan. In other words, it'd be like me telling you the story this morning, going, hey, look, you know, here's what happened. You know, it's like we had, you know, I was up at a cancer center and, 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 and there were like, there, there were all these people gathered together and this guy named Jesus kind of walks in and, and he tells them that all they got to do is go over to, go, go over to, to, to Mercy's outpatient thing and if they, and, 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 and they'll be okay. And, and, and they all laughed and halfway on the trip there, one, they realized they were healed, and one guy came back, and he just he, he fell at the feet of Jesus, and he thanked him, and he thanked him, and thanked him, and, and he was a member of ISIS. 
And you're going, now how do I feel? I mean, is it like a real member and, and like he's come to Jesus or is it like a phony profession? You, you know, you got all these questions down in your head. And, and that's what would happen when Luke said, and he was a Samaritan, it took this whole story and went, whoop, flipped it upside down for these people. Because now they're struggling. See, they had no problem with the Jesus who healed Jews. But a Jesus who also helped Samaritans? Wait a minute. He's a Jew Jew. I mean, he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, he's king of kings. He's, he, he's all of this. He's not here to help Samaritans and Gentiles. That's not the Jesus we have been following for three years. And it's, they're struggling. And by the way, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see this next week and the following week and the following week. As we get closer to the cross, more and more and more, Jesus is going to make it very, very explicit to them. I am here for everyone, not just Jews. Ultimately, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to climax at the cross with the thief. He says, to this, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. This is the groundwork laying up to it. And he goes, and he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus masterfully asked three very penetrating questions. Were not all ten cleansed? Wait a minute. How come I'm only looking at one? Weren't there ten guys here? Where are the nine? What about the buddies who you hung with? Where are they? And then notice what he says. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? See, they had always looked at Samaritan's outcast. He comes in and goes, you mean to tell me that the only one who really, really cared was this outsider? And let me tell you something. The disciples' heads are turning now. And the writers and the readers of Luke's gospel, they're going, whoa, 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 this doesn't fit with what we think about Jesus. And then notice what it goes on to say. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Some versions, and actually a better translation of this, your faith has saved you. Um, a lot of takeaways from the story. Um, just a couple and zero in on real quick. Here's, here's, here's the first one. You're going to see this over and over again from here on out in the miracles. But one of the things that Jesus deals with right off the bat is the idea that salvation is for everyone. It's not about your background. It's not about your past. It's not about whether you think you um, deserve it. It's not, it's not about what, what you ha- what, all the things that you have done that exclude you from the kingdom. No, 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 no. Salvation is offered to everyone. And that's the, that's the thing I think that, you know, to us, we kind of get that, but in this culture, they didn't. And this story really illustrates it because it turns on that idea he was a Samaritan. Listen, don't, don't miss this. Jesus loves everyone, and there is nothing you can do, nothing, that's going to make God love you more or love you less. There's nothing. His very nature and character is, as John says, he is love. The pure essence of love. There's a day coming at which he will be judge. 
But now, he is love. And that's why you know the verse, God so loved the world that he gave. That was the whole point of the cross. And Jesus here illustrates it with this story and the idea of, you know what? Look, I am, I am here so that even a Samaritan, a foreigner, can have eternal life with me. And so that's, that, that's like the important point to get over here. The big takeaway comes in the next part of it. You need to go, don't you? Okay, I know you're trying to figure out, okay, when's he going to quit? You know me. When can you sneak out? Yeah, okay. I've ticked off my wife and she's left the building. Uh, no, here's the next thing. And, and this, is the, this is the side, this is, I think, the big story here in this thing that, that, that I don't want you to miss. And, and follow me very closely because if you don't, I don't want to be misinterpreted here. But so follow this really, really close. All 10 of these lepers enjoyed healing. Only one got salvation. Okay? So follow this very carefully. The 10 of them heard the words of Christ. And they responded to the words of Christ. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. And they listened to the words of Christ, and they said, okay, we will do that. And as they go, they experience Jesus to a degree. They get healed. And so on the way, they experience physical healing. But for one of them, that wasn't enough. One of them wanted more. One of them said, I don't just want physical healing. I want a relationship with Jesus. And he comes back and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he thanks him and he praises him. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not just about listening to his words. It's about me having a relationship with him. It's about me going back and spending time and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Jesus, seeing that faith, says, that faith, that saved you. Because you wanted more than simply my words. Here's, here's the danger. Here's, here's the thing. And, and like I say, this is a very fine line, so listen to what I'm saying. I think you can experience some of the benefits of Christianity without ever having a relationship with Christ. Okay? This guy says, the benefits are not enough for me. I want the relationship. And I'm afraid that there's some of you, you come here and you love coming here and we love having you here. And you like the fellowship and you like the, the time together and you like all that. And you get to experience the same thing that all of us experience. But deep down in your heart, there's not a relationship with Christ. There's never been a time where you and God have done business one-on-one, -on -one, where you have put your faith and trust in Christ, where you are trusting Christ instead of something else. Too many people are like, you know what, look, I'm a nice person. I don't do a lot of bad things. So I'm like, okay. Or, you know, I give money, or I pray, or read my Bible, or I come to church like three, three times out of the month, 
or, you know, I was baptized in a church, or, you know, I got the certificate where I was like a member of this church. And you bank on all of that stuff. And you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing the idea that it's not about listening to the words of Christ, although that's good. It's about having a relationship with Christ, and that's much different. And there are a lot of people who will follow the words of Christ and never have a relationship with Christ. And I think that's what this story is really all about. It's about seeing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this Samaritan comes back because he wants a relationship. You say, oh, yeah, I'm still fuzzy on it. Um, this is a really bad illustration. Oh, my wife has left. Oh, this is great. Okay. My wife and I get along very well. There is one rub that things get a little dicey, and it's the illustration I'm going to use. So uh, here we go. Uh, here's why. When I was 50, on my bucket list was to parachute. And I, I, whatever you think about that, believe me, my wife is, is, is with you. Uh, she thinks it was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. She hated it. She mocked me for it. She, she was scared to death, all those kinds of things. But, here, but it's something I want to do. Long story short, I, you know, I, uh, you call it insane or stupid or whatever else, but it was on my list. But, and I did it. I've done it twice. And because I want to stay married, that's all the more I'll ever do it. Now, if my wife passes away, then I might do it again. Uh, but as long as she's in the picture and still alive, this is out of my list. I can't do this again, okay? So anyway, um, but here's what happens. They, they, put, they strap you all up, and you have actually, most people don't know this, you actually have three parachutes on, okay? Um, and, and the group that we did this with, there's actually three parachutes. There's the main chute, okay? And then there is, um, if, if something happened with that, you pull that away and a secondary chute comes out. That's a smaller chute. You're going to hit the ground a little harder, but still you're not going to hit the ground without a chute. And then there is a, a third that's actually an emergency chute that let's say you were to jump out of a plane and pass out. At a certain altitude, that chute deploys no matter what. Okay? The problem is it's a really small chute, and you hit the ground really fast, um, and so you're probably going to break stuff at that point, but you're not going to—not as bad as coming all the way down. Okay, so you have three shoots. But here's the thing: at some point, and we didn't do the tandem thing. We did the thing where you jump out on your own. No, you, it's all you. Um, and 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 our deal, we did what's called stack line jump. They tie. Uh, there's a there's a cable that's tied. It's not a cable. It's a strap. Um, think of a strap like a car strap kind of thing. It's hooked to the chute. Once you get 20 feet from the plane, is it 20? 20 feet? I think. 25 feet from the plane, it automatically pulls the thing for you. Um, so, you know, so you, it was coming out, and then if that didn't, you cut away and pulled a second one, and if you passed out, then a third one was going to do it. But anyway, here's what happens. And we, I, we jumped at 3,000 feet. At 3,000 feet, here's what you're realizing. When I let go and step out of this plane, my entire life is dependent upon strings and fabric. Everything I've done to this point, this is why my wife thinks so stupid. Uh, everything I've done to this point is, is I am putting all of my trust, everything, in a bunch of fabric and a bunch of string. And 
there's two kinds of people. People who do that and people who don't do that. All right? I wanted to be in the group of people who have done that. But at some point, you really wrestle with this in your head. You're playing this fighting game. Do I trust this enough? And people who do it say yes. When we talk about salvation, that's what we're talking about. You're putting everything in one thing and one thing alone. I am not banking on going to heaven because I was a pastor, I was a nice guy, um, I went to church a lot, I was brought up in a Christian home, I was baptized, none of that. I'm putting everything I've got into one thing and one thing only. That when I was 16 years old, I said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I don't want to call the shots anymore. I want to do it your way, not mine. Everything. With my eternity and existence. Banks. On that and that alone. It's a personal relationship that I have with God because I cried out and said save me and he said I will never leave you nor forsake you if you do that we have that relationship from that point on this Samaritan does that he comes back and falls and says you know Lord and Jesus looks at him and goes your faith has made you whole your faith has made you well your faith has saved you this is what I needed. I needed somebody who had to come back and recognize who I was, who wanted to say thanks to me, who wanted to be part of me. The other guys, they got healed. You, you got healed, and you got eternity with me. One experienced such a small part of it, and, and I guess that's what I would say. It, some of you, you're experiencing the things of Christianity, but you don't have the relationship. And you're like the nine who got healed. But there was so much more. In eternity, they're going to figure it out. Don't be that way. And I think that's one of the great lessons here. It's easy to do that. Make sure you have put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And I think the last takeaway for those of you that have, like me, I think there's a great lesson in this passage about gratitude. And if some of you are like me, the where, where I struggle is this. This is all I've known. I grew up in a home where for day one we were taken to church. I grew up in a home where every church I've ever been in for 50 some odd plus years, the gospel has been preached and the Bible has been believed. I grew up in a place where from day one we were surrounded by Bible verses and Bible principles and Bible characters and godly men and godly women. I went, to a, I went to a high school for four years where we were taught Bible. I went to a college where I was surrounded by it. For me, it's a world that it, 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 it's so easy because I've been exposed to it for so long to take it for granted. To not realize how 
how grateful I should be because of how much I've been given. And so for me, it's like the Bible is, it, it, the Bible is just another part of life for me because I've been surrounded by it for so long. And it's easy when you do that to not really realize what you've been given. And so I think sometimes we can become ungrateful without realizing we're ungrateful. As reminded this week, when I was talking to somebody and, and, and we were talking about we were talking about another family who was really struggling with their kids, actually two other families who were really struggling with their kids. And the family I was talking to, they made the comment, they said, I can't even imagine that. And, and I brought up the idea, I said, you know, I said, your family has been incredibly blessed that you have never had to deal with those issues. And so has mine. Because I said, either one of us could be in that boat where our kids made those kinds of decisions and there's nothing we could do about it. I said, it, it, we, we're incredibly grateful for the fact that we didn't have to experience that. And I, and I just want to remind you that for some of you, you're like me, you have been given so much. Be careful. Make sure you're grateful for what you've got. Make sure you let God know. I think so many times we run before God it's something I'm trying. Try praying sometime and not asking for anything. Just thank God for all the things you can think of that you've been given. And don't ask for anything. Don't ask for something for somebody else. Don't ask for something for you or your family. Or anything. Just simply sit down and say, God, I want to just take the next few minutes here and thank you for Boom, 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 boom. Amen. I don't think it hurt any of us. Because I know when my kids, I love them to death, but can I imagine a world in which every conversation I have with them, all they're doing is asking me for something? It's really nice. When once in a while they say, by the way, this is an idea. <laughs> hey, Dad, let me pay for supper. Huh? Oh, I know, I know, it was great, yeah. Um, Alex and I were doing shopping this week for the wedding thing, and we were getting some stuff together, and, and um, she said, you got, and I was, I was buying the stuff, and she said, you got to at least let me take you to lunch. And I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't want you to take me to lunch. And she said, I have Josh's credit card. I said, now we're talking. I said, I, so we called Josh and we said, hey, we just wanted to thank you for taking us to lunch. Um, so anyway, but, you know, it was nice. It's nice to be able to, when they, when, when they do stuff like that, and you know, it's so, it's, as a parent, it's so rewarding to, when they, when they come to you with doing stuff like that. And I want to, yeah. And, and I just wonder sometimes if, you know, sometimes God might feel that way because all we do is ask, ask, ask. There's nothing wrong with a little gratitude. And we could probably all do well this week to take a little bit of time and carve it out of our time with God and say, God, this is just a time where I want to thank you. It was a Samaritan who came and did that. And it kind of rocked the world of the disciples and the people who Luke tells this story to. And um, 
I think it's a great lesson for us. So I close with this. My prayer this week is in this story, Jesus reminds us that he offers salvation to everyone, regardless of their circumstances and background. He also warns us that people can experience Christian things without possessing Christ. Genuine Christianity involves a relationship with Christ, not an experience of religion. And because many of us possess that relationship, we need to be careful and guard ourselves against ungratefulness.